0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of An this Kiss right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest is Lionel Friedberg. This gentleman has been around for a long time. He's a producer, a writer, a cinematographer, director. He has several books which we're going to be talking about because this is part one of part two. There's just too much to cover in one show. He has lived all around the world. Um, South Africa, Canada, now the States. He's, um, He's done wonderful documentaries. He's just like there is this book called full service but he's actually which is a totally different topic which we will get into because it's about hollywood's sexual underground um but he has actually done a full service across the whole spectrum of the movie industry and television and everything else so we're going to in this first part really dive into his wonderful career that he has had um on on all that he's produced because it's exciting, you know, we why does a producer go for a particular project? What what is it like to direct certain people? Um, what are the obstacles that kind of get in the way? Um, You know, what is he drawn to? What kind of, um, you know, shows is is he drawn to actually doing? And, you know, how is it different from television to film? All of this we're going to just dive right into today. And then uh, the next show will come in where we will talk about his books, Forever in Your Veins, Full Service, and The Flying Springbok. And, And we'll dive right into that and find out all about that as well. So, but first, let's just unravel Lionel's life here and uh, Lionel, welcome to the show and honor to have you here.
1: Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Now, are you South
0: African born?
1: I'm South African born, yes.
0: I lived there for 11 years, an exquisite country. Which part of the country were you in?
1: I was born in the, in the area around Johannesburg. Uh, there, there are lots of little cities and towns around the Johannesburg area. So I actually grew up in a town called Germiston, just to the south of Johannesburg.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But call me a Johannesburger, because that's my beat. You know, that's where I, that's where I went to school. Uh, and that's where we lived, little small towns, a place called Kempton Park, which is where the big international airport is now. And um, that's where I developed my love of aviation, which is, I, I eventually wrote a book about the history of the airline there. Because of that, uh, I just fell in love with aircraft when I was a child. So I grew up in the, what used to be called the Transvaal. Mm-hmm. And now I'm basically called Kharteng. Uh And uh, so Johannesburg is, is, is where I come from.
0: I lived in South Africa for 11 years. I did Johannesburg for um, around about five years collectively. Um, my sister used to live in Randburg, And uh, I lived in Hillbrow. And we used to call it Hillbrow Jailburg um, because I was there kind of Uh, The late 70s when a great deal of violence was going on and, and, you know, the fight, you know, where apartheid was really coming up. Uh, Most certainly, um, tumultuous times, but through those times also come incredible stories and, uh, you know, the fruits of which to be actually able to produce something. Uh, Were you in TV or or, uh, movies when you were in South Africa?
1: Well, I grew up in South Africa and I had my education in South Africa and then my parents eventually... For a number of reasons. Um, uh, we'd had enough of, of the apartheid era, mm-hmm. and I was an only child. My mother was born in South Africa. My father was originally from Latvia, and uh, he was very conscious of uh, the, 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 the racial injustices that were going on in South Africa, and um, he had a whole string of business partners who weren't particularly honest, and he said, mm-hmm. you know, enough i had enough of this. Yes. And so he decided to move, and he moved to a little country called Northern Rhodesia, which is today Mm -hmm. Zambia. And uh, he went up there to run a little store right on the border of the Congo. And it was at the time that the Congo War was raging. Right. And everybody thought he was absolutely crazy. And he said, no, I'm getting out of here. And I'm getting out of South Africa. I'm going to live up there uh, in an area called the Copper Belt. Some of the richest copper mines in the world are located up there. And so he moved and I thought, I'm not staying here. I decided to follow them. And when I arrived there, you know, I'd, I'd finished my education and my, my, my parents said, you've got to go to university. However, I had a weakness. And my weakness was the fact that my mother was an avid cinema fanatic. She loved going to the movies. She took me to see my first film when I was four years old. It was an Esther Williams movie. I think it was Bathing Beauty. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with the movies. And all I wanted to do was to make films. Mm-hmm. So I started making films as a child when I was 11 years old. And when my parents were moved up to Northern Rhodesia, I thought, oh my God, here is my opportunity to make the African Queen and King Solomon's Mines and all of those wonderful adventure movies that I loved. Now's my chance to do that, you know? Um, and when I arrived there and looked around, there was nothing, it was a completely undeveloped country with a series of copper mines. There was nothing for me to do at all and I thought, what have I done?
2: Mm-hmm,
1: now mm-hmm. my parents said, go back to South Africa, go and get yourself a university education. And I was very reticent to do that until I read the newspaper one day. Uh, there was a local newspaper on the copper called the Northern News. And there was a little tiny thing in there that said, um, it, it was almost an advertisement for staff. We're looking for staff for the new television station. And I thought, oh my God, this is manna from heaven. Mm-hmm. I responded to the ad. I had my interview and they said, everybody who's going to work at this new television station that we're starting are coming either come from the UK or from Europe or from Southern Rhodesia.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: At that time, Northern Rhodesia was part of a federation. There was the Northern Rhodesia. There was Southern Rhodesia named after Cecil Rhodes. The mm-hmm. great uh, imperialist and an and entrepreneur, and then there was Nyasaland, which is today in Malawi. So those three countries were a federation. Southern Rhodesia did have television; Northern Rhodesia did not. So they got their staff from Southern Rhodesia and from London, but there were a couple of little minor jobs that were available, and thank heavens I got one of those, as in the props department. You mm-hmm, know, looking mm-hmm. after little things of soap and, 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 and cocoa and things for the advertising shows that we did. Um, and so that's how my career began. At, it was the very first television station in Central Africa. And after six months, because I had been making movies since I was 11, I knew Thank all about know. making movies, didn't I? You know, I mean, <laughs> and so I, I went to the manager of the station. I said, Mr. Salmon, he was a, he was a retired army um, captain, and I said, Mr. Salmon, unless you give me a job as a cameraman, I'm leaving. And he kind of liked me, and I think everybody sort of depended on me because I was, I was kind of creative. If we, mm-hmm. we had live advertising shows,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: for example, if there was an ad, a, a live show for advertising ice cream, you couldn't have ice cream because you couldn't keep it fresh. Right. You couldn't keep it. So I had a way of 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 inventing props that, that looked like ice cream. And things like that that's just one tiny example so a dishcloth covered in soap powder with a little marble at the top with motor oil running over the side looked like (laughs) a dish of ice cream it doesn't sound appetizing (laughs) i was inventive and they thought you know this guy's good Mm. and i said i don't want to do this anymore i want to be behind that camera and ian salmon said to me or we'll give you a chance and uh, they put me behind one of the cameras for the morning educational broadcasts We had broadcast in the morning for kids Mm
2: -hmm. and we
1: had afternoon programs for local tribal people in the vernacular languages and tribal dances and all sorts of Mm -hmm. wonderful things. So I was exposed to this incredible culture. And at night it was for the white audiences where we had British shows, American (laughs) shows and some local uh, dramas. And so I was good behind the camera and that's how my career began. So I did that for a couple of years until independence came along. And then it was decided by Kenneth Kaunda and the United National Independence Party, who were now the party in, in path. This is now the Federation had broken up. Britain was giving all these territories away. Northern Rhodesia was now going to become Zambia. Mm-hmm. And it was decided that all the white staff at this little television station in a tiny town called Kitwi had to leave because they were going to be replaced by local people, mm-hmm. which is correct. And we had to train local people. It was called Zambianization. And I thought, well, that's all very well. What do I do once I've trained them to do my job? What am I going to do? Yes. <laughs> and uh, you know, so uh, so it it was kind of, in a way, kind of traumatic. Uh, but there in there lies a story because we had a wonderful servant at home. Everybody had a servant mm. up there. I mean, these were colonial times. Yes. Everybody had a servant. So we had a boy. Well, of course, he was a young man. He wasn't a boy, but anyway, that's the term that we used those days. And um, I said to him, David and I were great friends and he loved photography. And I was teaching him how to use his little camera. We gave him a camera for Christmas one year and we were sitting under the mango tree one afternoon on one of my off days. And um, I said, you know, David, I, I, I have to leave. I've got to probably get, have to go back to South Africa. And he said, that's terrible, why? And I said, because my job has been given to a, a local person. I, I, I've, I've, I've been made redundant what am I going to do? He said, no, no, you mustn't go back to South Africa. So I said, well, what am I going to do? And he said, we'll go and ask someone who will know. And he took me to see a Sangoma. A Sangoma is basically what what we would, those days used to call a witch doctor, Mm -hmm. a diviner, uh, a soothsayer, a herbalist, you know, uh, a medicine person. And it was a woman and she was an albino woman who lived on the outskirts of town in the middle of nowhere. And David and I went to see her and he interpreted what she said, what she told me. And she used bones, she mm-hmm. threw bones on the floor. And as the bones scattered, the, 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 the paradigm in, 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 in the African tradition is the bones will lay in a certain order and it is the ancestors who make them fall in this particular order right, and will tell the future. Do you know that every single thing that that little albino woman who didn't speak a word of English told me has come true mm-hmm. in the last 60 mm-hmm. years? And that is the through line of the first book that I uh, that, that, that that we'll talk about later mm-hmm. on. Um, and it was quite incredible. So my 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 future was sort of mapped out by what this woman told me but i had no option but to go back to south africa so i went back to south africa and got a job in the film industry and um but my ambition was always to work in hollywood which is not where i live now
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i always wanted to live in la because why because this is where esther williams and people <laughs> like that live.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes of course <laughs>
1: And my, my, my absolute ambition as a child was always to make movies. One day, I remember when, after I saw this movie with my mother, I was, as I said, I was four or five years old. And I said to my mom afterwards, I said, wow, she's amazing. Oh, and there was also Carmen Miranda was in that room. Oh, mm-hmm. lady with a fruit on her yes, head. Yes, yes, And I that. said, where does she live? And my mother said, oh, um, I think in America. It was the very first time I ever heard the, the name, the word, America. I was a kid, I was a little yeah, child, you know, right. I started school. And I thought, that's where I want to go. And I want to do exactly what those people do. I want to make movies with Carmen Miranda and Esther <laughs> Williams. That's what I want to do. That was my life's dream. Yes. <laughs> so once I was made redundant in uh, Zambia, I returned to South Africa, got, got a job in the film industry, and they were really wonderful, exciting, amazing years because we had to be very innovative. We were so far away from the technology yes. of Hollywood and the, the, the film industry of, of the UK and America, wherever else. So we had to be very innovative, but we did quite well. And you know we managed to, to make some pretty good stuff uh, in South Africa and they were wonderful years, but my dream was still to come to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that time with apartheid raging, yes. it was very difficult to, uh, to emigrate to um, the United States. And I thought, well, then I'm going to do the next best thing. I'm going to go to the closest place that I can. And so I emigrated to Canada, which was one of the most wonderful things I did. The Canadians gave me a visa without any hesitation. They were absolutely wonderful. And I arrived in Montreal not knowing a soul, not knowing a word of French. And I got a job with the National Film Board in Montreal. Office National du Film, I remember, I think it was in... uh, um, Notre Dame de Grange in Montreal. It was just wonderful, wonderful, a wonderful opportunity, and the Canadians were just absolutely fantastic.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And year uh, was that, Lionel?
1: Nineteen sixty-six.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, and uh, what I what I arranged through the National Film Board was an exchange scheme for me to come to Hollywood for a short while to learn the business, and then I would go back to Canada. And uh, so they very kindly arranged that the National Film Board. The twain did not meet between the French and English departments those days. There was Mm -hmm. an English camera department, and there was a French camera department, (laughs) and there was an English cafeteria, and there was Oh, no! A different form of apartheid. Exactly. I was amazed. (laughs) Um, And so the the head of the English camera department, um, Dennis Jilson was his name, a, a lovely man. He arranged for me to come to L.A. and work at some of the major studios here which I did. So I got on a Greyhound bus and spent five days uh, coming all the way to California. And then I started working in the industry here for a while and then went back to Canada. And I'll just cut a very, very long story short. My father became very ill. And as an only child, I felt very responsible. I had to go back and be with my mother. And so I returned to Africa. And once I had returned to Africa, it would have been very difficult for me to have made the move back to North America again, Because my father was uh, uh, extremely ill and he was basically, he eventually passed away from lung cancer.
2: Mm. uh,
1: So I felt that I had to stay. So I ended up in South Africa and that's where I eventually got married, had my first two children and so on and so forth. And from there, you know, my career really began in the movie industry.
0: Mm -hmm. I was engaged to a a young man who was um, a sound guy and yes. the movies dan vessels this would have been um in the 70s and uh, i remember being on a few movie sets and sometimes kind of being the extra or filling in for a spot but the trouble is it was all afrikaans which you know i you know they're trying to get me to say something and i'd say it very britishly you know so, but it was always fun you know on those um uh, Uh, all night because you know what people don't understand when they see a a TV show or a movie full of action they don't you know why does it take so long to make it because there's so much of hurry up and wait got to wait for the right light or the right situation or the right this or the right that and then there's a few takes and so they don't realize there's more sitting around than there is actually doing anything Um, which uh, you know obviously when you're in the theater you know, press on and you're on until the end which is a totally you know different paradigm there um but yes uh, i remember quite a number of movies um being made in south africa um including the gods must be crazy do you remember that
1: Oh, of course, that's uh, that's become a classic. And it's, oh, a f- and
0: it's fabulous like movie. If people haven't seen it, please go and see it. You know, it's about a Coca-Cola bottle falling from the sky and yes. these guys thinking it's yes. <laughs> it's evil. And it's just hilarious. It really yes. is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
1: It's, it's a wonderful, uh, and made by a wonderful man called Jamie Ace, who was the first filmmaker in South Africa to make films, first one to make films in Afrikaans. and uh, And I knew Jamie. Uh, he passed away but jamie made that film and it's 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 really become a classic yeah
2: yeah
0: yeah and you just can't help but laugh but at the same time it's just showing such a beautiful simple culture you know because you know when people think of south africa they just really think of the struggle of apartheid yes i left in 80 and it took me five years for me to get my papers in canada
2: Ah. because
0: i still had um um, a permanent residency in south africa I had to go and get a new passport as a British subject and Mm. apply all over again because that. And I said, but I've left. (laughs) They'd still been penalized for living there. So I was caught right up in the swirl of that time. But But, you had
1: your your British passport.
0: I did have a British passport and I had permanent residency stamped in it, but they deliberately lost my papers three times.
1: Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it was uh, uh, a mum whose father worked in the consulate who just said, they toss your papers out because you have permanent residency in there
2: yeah.
0: and as uh, new passport new clean papers
2: yeah.
0: and I finally got back in here because I was married with two kids at that time and the kids uh-huh. got to come back in but not me so that was you know, that was always the challenge but South Africa I remember the movie business and of course also in 77 when the TV mm-hmm. opened up and yeah. it was Afrikaans one night English another yeah. and I remember um Tuesdays, all of the theaters only starting their plays at nine o'clock because I think Dynasty or yes. it was That's- on earlier, nobody would go to the theater until Dynasty was over. It's
1: probably the days of Dallas because Dallas, yes,
0: yes, I hope
1: came to a standstill. for Dallas, yes. remember that, yeah. yes,
0: <laughs> I do, I do. And, uh, and of course, um, you know, the Afrikaans bought all the other great shows and yes. dubbed for
1: them, right? So, yes, dubbed them. Yes. <laughs> You know, somebody once asked me, the television service actually began on the 5th of January, 1976, Mm -hmm. uh, in in South Africa. And I had been, I I joined a company in 1974 uh, that got a contract to do a lot of documentaries for the the television uh, network, for the SABC. And uh, the very first series I got to do was a history of all of the tribes of South Africa which mm. i did with an anthropologist by the name of peter becker a remarkable man and i got to know all the local tribes and their cultures in and out yeah. it was an extraordinary experience but that's another story but somebody um one of my friends from from abroad once said well you know how many channels do you have in south africa and i said a half <laughs> yes you know
0: uh, I didn't bother getting a TV in South Africa. I was still very much enjoying the, you know, the life. And if I wanted to watch it, I'd go to someone else who had it. Um, but yeah, it, it was rather pathetic when it first came out. Um, and but there was then the challenge, wasn't it, to start making for for South African TV, start you know really producing your own material. Um, yeah. So that must have opened up a lot of doors there.
1: Huge, absolutely huge! It suddenly created an industry mm-hmm. that you know, really didn't exist before that. Uh, but but they had five years to do that. I learned about the introduction of television in South Africa. You know, there was we had a we had the, the Minister of Posts and Telegraphs in South Africa was was a man by the name of Albert Herzog. He had a little white beard and uh, obnoxious little man. And uh, the South Africans used to call the cinema movies yes. the Bioscope. Because mm-hmm. when the movies first came to South Africa, the, the first projector that arrived was a hand crank thing during the, the silent era. And yes. it was made by a company here in America. And it was called the Bioscope. So everybody in South Africa, right up until the 90s, used to refer to the movies in South Africa as the Bioscope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, people had been asking for years and years and years, let's have television. But this little Minister of Posts and Telegraphs was in charge of broadcasting. And he said, "I am not going to have that little bioscope in the corner of our lounges, where the world can see how corrupt, how we can see how corrupt the world is." Of course, they wanted to keep away from uh, uh, from from the the populace, particularly black viewers. Right, how yes. the rest of the world lived. Mm-hmm. God forbid that people should see that you know whites and blacks can get on peacefully. Right? Yes, they didn't yes. want that to happen, so they kept it away. But eventually, they couldn't hold back. Uh, progress. And I was boarding a jet aircraft um, in Tokyo in 1971, and I bought Time magazine. And I got on board the plane when I was going to fly to Australia. And I opened it up and there was this article announcing the introduction of television in South Africa. Well, I couldn't believe it because it had been denied for all these years. right? And that's how I learned about it. So the country had five years to prepare. And I have to tell you that they they got the best technical equipment in the world modeled on the British PAL system, the phase alternating Mm -hmm. line color system, Mm -hmm. way better than the North American system was back in those days. And um, they built an incredible broadcasting center in Johannesburg at Auckland Park with the latest and the best in every bell and whistle imaginable. And, but what that did was for, it, it allowed so many people to suddenly find a career in the film industry. Yes. Either producing drama shows in English or Afrikaans, but I wanted to concentrate at that time on documentaries. I had been—I had spent my my most of my time photographing feature films, but I fell in love with uh, documentaries, and um, so I had all these marvelous opportunities. And the company that I was with in Johannesburg, Independent Film Centre, we specialize in documentaries, and they were a wonderful, wonderful bunch of people. So we made all these amazing shows, and uh, we were churning it out left, right, and centre documentaries by the dozen and and they were wonderful days
0: and the thing about documentaries you know like a good book or a good story they don't die you know they they may have taken you up to a certain time period but the knowledge of what you learned from that documentary it's just something that can continue to live on
1: yes yes things do date but aside from that um, Mm -hmm. you know and and the good thing about working on documentaries is that you you have the privilege of entering people's lives, the very few people, other, other people have the opportunity of doing. You take the people's lives apart, like this, an onion skin. Yes. You, it away. you get to the kernel of what people are about and what they do and how they live, whether it's about how you make matchboxes or <laughs> whether it's about some huge social issues or whatever it is, you have to get to the core of it. And it's a wonderful process. It's absolutely marvelous. Yeah. Because you really do learn a lot. And then your job as a filmmaker is to impart that to your audience. Yes, and in an
0: in invitational way where they're quite happy to peel back another layer and another layer and get more and more intrigued. And yes. then, you know, have that aha moment when you actually get to the core of everything. So it's, right. uh, it's having people immersed in it, isn't it? I mean, that's the reason yes. why we go to movies is yeah. that we want to be immersed. Sometimes it's escapism. Sometimes it's, you know, that, uh, you know, transforming you into space. Um, but very, very often we want to see ourselves somewhere in there there. Uh, um, we want to see an image of what we would like to be or a realization of what we are. And that's why movies speak to us so much, whether it's a documentary or whether it is, you know, just a, a fictional. Most yes. fictionals, though, you know, always end up being slightly factual along the way. Mm-hmm. And as we were saying, 2020, if you wrote it as fiction, nobody would ever believe it was fact. So yes. it's yes. going to be interesting what filmmakers make in the future of 2020.
1: I am dying to see what is going to become yeah. this year. Yes. In terms of feature films, in yeah. terms of dramatic films, and in terms of documentaries, mm. looking back on this year is going to be quite something
0: yeah and and you know 20 years they're going to think that it's fictional. no that couldn't have happened in one year
2: <laughs> the it year about
1: This was the year that the world changed it really it's changed so much about the planet. the way we live, the way we interact, the way we go about our lives, the way yeah. we educate ourselves, the way we go about our business I mean it, it really has been an, an extraordinary year in so many ways and not always at a good way at all, but uh, just a very, very, I mean, you know, I, I know people who've lived through the blitz in England and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or, or whether the one has lived through the apartheid era, but nothing compares to what this year has been all about.
0: No, I was given a saying about two and a half years ago that the universe is going to shake us up, to wake us up, for us to step up and change it up.
2: That's what it did.
0: And it's doing it. You know, we've been shaken, we've been woken, we've been asked to step up, because that's the only way we're going to change it up. And, you know, basically it was the universe and the planet got together and said, look, we've got to do something with these humans, (laughs) you know, because they're destroying us. And so we need to shake them
1: up. So... You know, when you go outside in L.A. or any major city and, uh, uh, and you look up at the sky and the sky is blue again mm. and clean again and there are no vapor trails and right. there's no noise and there's no pollution up there. There's no air traffic. Right. Wonderful. The planet has been given a chance to breathe again. You and know, let us know that it doesn't need us. <laughs> and it doesn't need us. Yes. Um, and the traffic has been cut down. Yeah. I mean, the congested freeways of la which are notorious Uh, the the traffic is now a tenth of what it used to be yeah we're polluting less and you know we're not sitting in traffic jams all the time so the planet has got a chance to get its breath back again right right And, and also if
0: you know although we are supposed to be kind of you know and if not isolating but bubbling you know with a small group of people you know this medium which I've been doing for a few years, um, it has now become a mainstream. And what I love to see when you watch TV or any of the shows, you know, talking head shows, is where it used to be studio, two or three minutes, just catching the surface. You know, now everybody's in their own homes, they're more relaxed, forget about the makeup and the hair, you're seeing them as they are, and we're having more honest conversations. I think it's going to be very hard for them to go back to the superficial. Uh, because we have really have really opened up more to the depth,
1: which is what we're hungry for. Yes. Well, that's right. Uh, it speaks to the fact that, you know, there's, we've run out of time. There's no time to do anything. Everybody's running. Everybody's yes. running. Time. Everybody's in a hurry. We slow down. That's what you've been saying now. Yes. I mean, you know, you can get into a topic. You can get into yes. a topic. Even though it's through a Zoom screen like we're doing right, right. now. But at least you can talk to someone instead of, oh, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. Yeah. Um, we got a chance to get to know one another. Right. Even though it's remotely. Yes. And I think that that's, uh, that, that is going to make a difference as well. Yeah. I just worry about what worries me more than anything else is, 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 is how children are not being given the opportunity to get a decent education this way. Because mm. you really do need a classroom and you need a teacher and you need one on one communication, you need social in you need that interaction. Yes. And children are being denied that at the moment. And what that worries me terribly. I have a daughter in Chicago. She's got two boys. And you know, uh they would much rather be in school. Yes. Than being schooled at home through uh, through a screen. You know. Yeah, I know.
0: But you know, we, we you know, let's let's refer this to wartime. Um we're not worrying about bombs. You know we're not worrying about you know somebody bashing down our door or, or taking us off to a camp yes. you know it's um you know back in those days there was no you, you know luck if they had radio yes. um no tv and um even less access to books or you know a lot of other things even going out the door was yes. you know and so we have to put things in perspective and go okay this is the sacrifice at the moment what yeah. are the benefits that can come out of this and i think yeah. it's a it's a new way of expressing ourselves um a new way of reaching out you know we now have virtual coffee mornings yeah you know uh, or people have the glass of wine you know and and meet people and it's yes no you're not in the same room but that doesn't mean you're not on the same frequency
1: oh absolutely um, absolutely that's so true that is so true you know um I have lots of friends here that were writers and um, uh, filmmakers and whatever else. And uh, one, one of the many groups that my wife and I belong to now is what we call the COVID classic film group. Mm. Uh, and we get together once a week, like we are now, and we discuss a classic movie. We look at the film, mm. use the back, uh, from the 30s or 40s or 50s, And then we get together and we analyze it and we take it apart lovely yes instead of a
0: book club a film
1: club it's exactly like a book like a book club but it's a film club yeah uh because you know we're all movie people here so we love to look at old movies and look at the cinematography and talk about underscoring the music yes and and the writing and the performances and film noir various you know uh, uh, um, uh, genres of film and it's really quite wonderful to be able to do that
0: i mean you think about the old black and white you know the yes. the the shadowing of the light of how sinister oh. it could be you know yes. the music just at that right time yes. you know it could be petrifying somebody could just be walking and you just see the shadow and the music staring up and you know something's coming i mean psycho for one <laughs> you know exactly. uh, you know it's it, they they got you i think uh, you know i, I um, I'm a 54 child, so I grew up with the the black and white movies before we more went to color in the late 60s. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching these black and white movies and going upstairs with my back against the wall. <laughs> I'm absolutely petrified, thinking somebody's going to, you know, jump out at me because they stayed with you. They, you know, they really knew how to be sinister or they really knew how to set the stage. Yeah. And, and uh, I, you know, I I love watching them today. Yes, you know, because they still kind of, some of them are, you know, Perry Mason. You yes. know, um, I live with an eighty-seven-year-old, and and she loves the original Perry Mason, and they remade a Perry Mason, which I do like, but mm-hmm. for her, it's not Perry. You yep. know, it's not her Perry. But it, you know, they were formatted, weren't they? It was very similar template to to everything what they did, and uh, based on yeah. the charisma, yeah. you know, of the people, but. Um, I think, you know, that a lot of people just want to look forward, but I think you're going, your best performance is forward if you appreciate what's been done
1: in the, in the past. You have to know that. You have yes. To know, to know where you're going, you've got to know where you've been. Yes. And, uh, and that applies to so many things, uh, particularly the arts.
0: Yes, I mean you know look at the arts and and the you know the movies and things that have, have stayed with us. I mean Psycho, even you know today uh-huh. is still talked about. And I love Mel Brooks's Psycho with the newspaper in the shower. You know, I mean he was a true artist. He really was. You know,
1: uh, hysterical. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Um, and but you know you look at. I mean I'm a Star Wars fan. You know I went. Are oh, I love my Star Wars and I love space. I love, you know, things that take us some other place that we have not yet gone or, you know, is possible to go. Um, And I love a good murder mystery. I don't like slashing, you know, um, you know, kill for the sake of kill. I like a good intrigue murder mystery that you have to unravel. Right. And I think it's it's very good for our psyche to have a good performance. I think it takes us out of ourselves. I think it also helps show us ourselves even by our reactions to what we're seeing.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: think it opens up conversation. Yeah. And I also think it gives us more insight into, into life in itself. So it's not just escapism. It's really a different form of education, isn't it?
1: Well, it's a window to who mm. we are. Yeah. It really is that. And one, you know, it, it makes you, it it allows you to be, uh, um, to, to, to analyze yourself and to look into yourself and look at yourself in the mirror and, you know, um, understand a little bit more about who you are. Uh, And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's very important for us to know yeah what what makes us tick and and how, uh, you know, uh, life is so marvelously complicated. But just to talk about the arts very briefly, um, you know, um, you were talking about black and white and you were talking about the scariness of things. You know, my wife and I have just made a film. We've always, I'm, I am a, I love uh, music in the movies. And mm. I, ever since mm-hmm. I saw, um, I think the first film that, that, that did it for me was probably The Ten Commandments back in 1956. Um, Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston, and yes. since then I worked with Charlton Heston, and I, you know, and, and 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 made a documentary about Cecil B. DeMille and the whole DeMille mm. dynasty for American Movie Classics. So it's, it, but what happened was in 1956 when I saw the Ten Commandments as a child, I was uh, what was I? I was uh, 12 years old, and I was watching this epic film unfold, and I suddenly realized what am I hearing here? I'm not only listening to the dialogue, I'm hearing something else. And I suddenly became aware of the music, Mm. which normally people don't even listen to. It's there, it's an underscore, it supports the emotion, Mm -hmm. it manipulates your emotions, but we're not aware of it. And I suddenly became aware of this music doing this to me. And that's how I developed this passion for film music. And when my wife and I eventually met you know, We had this interest in common uh, A love of film music And so she always wanted to My wife Diana She always wanted to make a film About the first man to underscore A dramatic film in Hollywood And he was a man by the name of Max Steiner mm-hmm. Max Steiner was uh, he Originally came from Austria Came to this town And when he arrived in Hollywood In the 30s I beg your pardon In the 20s the, the talkies were just beginning to to, right. to, to, to uh, happen. Warner Brothers had just made the jazz singer. And uh, so that changed the, the whole nature of the, yes. of the business, of course. And uh, the idea was at that time, there was no music in the movies at all, because if you put music in the movies, the audience, the, the, the feeling at the time for the producers was, well, where's the music coming from? If the audience doesn't see the orchestra, where's this music coming from? Until somebody once said, well, if that's the case, then where's the camera coming from? Right. Until <laughs> so Max Steiner and, and, and David O. Selznick, who produced Gone with the Wind,
2: mm. they said,
1: let's change the industry. Yes. Let's use music as an underscore behind the drama. You don't have to see the band. You no. don't have to see the orchestra. No. You don't have to see the zither or the accordion or the piano. No. It's there. Let it's it the
0: atmosphere, there. isn't it? <laughs>
1: And so we have made this film called The Maestro of the Movies. And it's the, it's the whole history of how music has played a role in in, in, in the film industry. And mm. it's been an amazing topic. Uh, we're in the process at the moment of trying to uh, negotiate with Warner Brothers the rights to use excerpts from their films. That with this lockdown that we're going through. Right, so, yes. I mean, everybody, you know, is basically not in their office. And so it's taking a long time to get permission. But when that film comes out, I think it's going to be quite interesting for people to see how all this came about how the how it began Mm. and how it developed over the years until we have the John Williamses of today and the Star Wars of today all because of Max Steiner
0: yes and you know how much music the influence it has I mean you yes you could take the dialogue out and the music itself can tell the story Absolutely. but it enhances the story it sets the stage for the actor of, of the next scene um it's so part of the story that you know you know keeps our emotions going and you know just something that's kind of almost like silence undertone and then there's a pitch and you can jump out of your seat
1: you know <laughs> and of course the other thing that music can do is you know you can have a very very bland very ordinary scene about someone walking down a a sidewalk. Yeah. And the music can, can, can say to you, something really bad is going to happen. <laughs> yes. And it's the music that does that too. Yes. Or if you take the music away, you don't know that that's going to happen. And when it does happen, you know, then the music can make it even worse. So music plays an incredible role. There are two sides to a film. And I've always said that to people. It's not a visual medium. It is audio and it's yes. video. And it's equal share. They yes. are important. Yes. And people don't realize that. And you know, there was a master filmmaker by the name of David Lean, who's one of my heroes. David Lean made marvelous films, including Bridge on the River Kwai, mm. Lawrence of Arabia, mm. uh, which, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the finest films ever made. Mm and um david lean you know ryan's daughter was an epic film that he made in the 60s
0: in south africa I remember that they,
1: they shot the film in, in in ireland it's set in ireland
0: oh, is it Ireland, but i thought they did it in south africa
1: they, they shot it in ireland and oh, okay. when when the weather turned against them in ireland they had to finish the film so right. when did they finish it the only place to finish it was to go to south africa yes to to, to the beaches of the cape where you have these wonderful stormy atlantic mm. oceans and all that but it was never said that it was shot in south africa because right the well of I, the
0: reason yeah. i know it was shot there because my brother was walking our dog on yes. the beach when they were filming, and oh. they were trying to chase the dog off because it was oh, in the scene. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: that's why I remember. You well, know, you know, MGM did everything they can to hide the fact that they finished the film in South Africa.
0: Right? Yes, that's the reason I know, is because you know the <laughs> dog tried to get in the picture. So that's why I remember it well. There. And David
1: um, was a master of of sound. You know, if you look at his film. Um, uh uh great expectations as an example mm, the original one the original one mm-hmm. L- the little child goes to the cemetery the little boy goes to the cemetery and uh, this is where he meets the thief who's escaped from the prison right uh, at the beginning of the story i don't know if people are familiar with it but that's how the movie begins this little mm-hmm. guy this little child lives in some irish small town in england and uh he's confronted by this 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 man who's escaped from a prison mm-hmm. and but what david lean does is he terrifies you yes you hear the trees creaking yes you hear the leaves rustling and you hear the wind blowing and there's no music he uses nature yeah. of sound. you know he was a master at that sort of thing so uh you know um that's to, just to come back again to it's a medium that relies on the audio as well as the video to of- tell yeah. the story yeah
0: yes did you see the movie august rush
1: um remind me Uh, it's
0: um it's a it's a young boy who is in an orphanage and he knows his parents are out there and he is a prodigy he literally hears music from the corn from the wind from anything and he actually ends up in a school producing you know his own piece but uh, robin williams gets hold of him. Ah. and uh, he can play this guitar very you know because of the way he hears sound and yes. it's a story back to his parents but it is so beautiful mm. and the way that he hears the sounds of everything you know just the cars driving over the potholes you yeah. know the horns everything turns into music for him of course. and then it's a, i recommend it if you haven't seen it it is a lovely movie
1: yeah that sounds like my kind of thing Yeah, uh, i don't think i have seen it yeah yeah uh, and, and i love I love when those elements are used. Like, yes, like just yes, them, you
2: know?
0: yes, yeah. And, you know, it's There's the certain instruments that just kind of are mesmerizing that they mm. they, they themselves of the tour you know, sto- storytelling and and uh, they can really lead you on the path and prepare you for what is to come. Oh, yeah. and uh, and also calm you down because you know if you've had a scare mm. you don't want the audience having a heart attack you now need to calm them down <laughs> and this it's not the scene because people are in shock with what's going on in the scene yeah. it's the music that brings them back down isn't it
1: yeah. You know, one of my little crazy things, and I've done a lot of crazy things in my time, but there was a time when I would walk around everywhere with a tape deck around my shoulder. Mm-hmm. On, and I, I would go in the tubes in London and yes. I would record the doors closing. And I would record the sound of the tracks, the, the train on the tracks. Yes. I would record general ambient sound on the sidewalks. I would go out into a field and just record distant the distant sound of wind, whatever. Because for me, it's all music. Yeah. Oh, I am with you, know, you. Yes. It's yes. all music. Nature is music. There's there nothing is...
0: like the rustling of the trees as you're walking down <laughs> as the wind is going through them. It's a symphony. You know,
2: yes. It's a symphony, the splash
0: know. of the water against the shore. It's a you symphony. Know? Oh, yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it. Yes. it's a Nature is a beautiful orchestra. Uh, yeah. Not many people pay attention to it.
1: No, we don't. Uh, and and I wish people did. But, you know, people don't hear. They don't, and nobody looks up. And that really is yeah.
0: No, because they're so busy, yeah. you know, looking down yeah. on their phones yeah. that they've forgotten what's I around do,
1: them. I go out the front the front door at night. The very first thing I do, I look at the sky. Yes. What is this? What is the stars doing tonight? Yeah. What, what is it? You know, what is the sky tonight? Yes. You have to know that. And you have to sense your connection with all of that. And it gives you this you know this gives gives you your cosmic place it's yes important.
0: oh yeah yeah it, it it is um you know we're we're divine creatures having a human experience
1: no question whatsoever about that
0: And, but so many people are stuck in just the human experience and they haven't let that divine in and that divine is speaking to them for every rustle of every leaf, for every bird in the sky, for every bit of wind, for every water that is rippling out there. It is around us, in us, um, through us all the time, but you know, people are constantly out there searching for some sort of stimuli and the stimuli is all around you. If you just open up your heart and spirit and allow it in.
1: Absolutely absolutely that's so true and if you can translate that Mm. that you have just described into a scene or into a movie you know you're you're doing miraculous and marvelous and wonderful things yeah did you Uh, like the
0: sixth sense
1: uh, the uh, the movie yes yes i did i loved the film absolutely Mm. and uh, of course the final line you know (laughs) i was waiting i saw that i was working on a big national geographic series called the shape of life uh, in Monterey. And the studio was right next to the big Monterey Aquarium because we had a, a natural history unit and we were doing a lot of natural history f- filming. And um, so uh, I was living in, in Monterey for about a year working on that series. And one night I decided I'm going to the movies tonight and I went to, to go and see The Sixth Sense. And while I was waiting for the show to start, the, the previous show was coming out and this little guy came out and he said to his dad, as he came out of the, fr- the door, he said, he said, oh, so he was dead all the time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he gave it all away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, you know, being one of those weird children that used to grow up speaking to dead people, you know, for me, it was an epiphany. Yeah. Yeah. I see dead people. i I'm, like, I'm not the only one. <laughs> you <know?
1: laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you something, Sarah. I made a show. For I, I do believe, I think it was either um, it was either A E, Arts and Entertainment Network, or maybe Discovery Channel, I don't remember, somewhere in the nineties, uh, called Beyond Death. It was a mm. two-hour special. And basically it was it wasn't about Uga Booga and and dances right. and things that go bump in the night. This was a sci- this was the the, the 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 brief was go and find out is there any scientific proof of the fact that the, that the soul or the spirit or the consciousness survives the demise of the human body. In other words, what happens to your soul? Right. What happens to yes. your consciousness? What happens to the real you when the vessel goes? When your body yes. stops working? Yeah. And that was what the movie was all about. Well, I tell you, it was one of the most extraordinary experiences of my life because...
0: What, what's it called again?
1: It was called Beyond Death, and you can actually see it on YouTube Um beyond death uh is the is the title of the show and uh, i met the most extraordinary people during the making of that um including a woman who um uh, was was clinically dead because she had a brain tumor and they had to stop her heart Mm -hmm. she was basically clinically dead her brain was dead so her blood was going through this machine but in, in actual fact she had died and yet she traveled outside of her body and she related this experience. And you know, nobody believed her when she came around afterwards. Right. She said she remembers things. Her surgeon said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, yes, but what about the time when the nurse dropped the, the, that instrument and you shouted at her? And he said, what? How do you know that? And she said, because I saw you I right. on the ceiling yes. looking down. Yes. And Really? And what else did you see? And she said, "Well, you you had a tape deck in the corner because the surgery took place for about five hours, mm-hmm. and I can tell you all the songs that you had playing." And he couldn't believe this. And so yeah. I interviewed the surgeon, I interviewed her, and everybody else who was part of that 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 procedure. That woman actually had an out of body experience.
0: Right, I, I've and had them myself, and you have, yeah.
1: yes, I, you I, have
0: I actually went into a coma when I was in labor with my son. And ah. um, I, I remember being up there and thinking, oh, I'm fine. I'm peaceful. Leave me alone. This is wonderful. I'm out of the body. And yeah. they're slapping my face and they're trying to, to to get me to come around. And then they inject me with something. And I can kind of feel myself coming back into my body going, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm also a dimensional traveler. So, you
1: know. For, oh, you are. Okay. Yes. Well, very interesting. I belong to a very interesting group of people here called the Galactics. Mm-hmm. And we get together now we can only do it on the zoom screen
2: mm-hmm. but
1: we usually get together once a month and we, we have dinner together and then we talk about this kind of thing yes uh, I mean, We talk about uh, you know near-death experiences we talk about life after death we talk about uh, all sorts of things the, the parallel universe is there you know yeah. yes the, the paranormal. Uh, UFOs, yep. aliens, on and on and on. And then, you know we have a wonderful thing that happens here once a year. Of course, this year it didn't happen. Uh, in in Palm Palm Springs, there's an event called Contact in the Desert, where we have people from all over the world and people get together to investigate all these topics, mm-hmm. whether it's to do with interdimensionality or whether it's to do with paranormal activities or whether it's to do with alien uh, visitors to the to this planet. They. It's it's five days of intensive talks and lectures. It's it's the five best days of my life of the year.
0: It it would be nectar for me. It it's, would be. I mean, so I get to interview silly. people where we 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 will astral, you know, yeah. travel on the show, so to speak, where we talk yeah. about. Oh. And and it's it's always when I manage to get into that kind of conversation with somebody, I'm, I'm at home. Oh
2: yeah.
0: And yeah. Uh, um I, and the interesting thing is um when quantum physics kind of came more into the thing. I remember somebody was very scientific. Um, and he was talking about spirituality and quantumness. And I said, well, surely spirituality is just a higher frequency that you can now measure. And he goes, yes, Mm-hmm. We can now actually measure the people that are actually on a higher hertz. Oh, yeah. Higher hertz of love, a higher hertz of consciousness. Right. And we actually understand that this whole thing of, of you know, stepping into love yeah. and, uh, and living in a spiritual plane is not kumbaya or yeah. cultish. It's yeah. just people living on a higher vibration, on a higher plane.
1: Absolutely. Right. Yes, totally. That's yeah, that's exactly what happens. Yes. Yeah.
0: And so they can now measure it. So it's no so no longer kind of, you know, the hoo ha, which of course it does aggravate me when I see TV shows that take anybody that is spiritual or has a gift and tries to make them cultish or yeah. evil, you know, and it's. Uh, a, of yeah.
1: you know but, but that's that's the fault of, of, of you know Hollywood. Um, yes. Uh, that's what they do. And it's it's a great shame. Yes that, it is. very little of this is taken seriously. Right. And every now and again comes along a little gem where it is taken seriously. Yeah. And, uh, and we need more of that. And I'm actually working on a screenplay, not a screenplay, a novel at the moment where I'm hoping to address this topic because, uh, and first of all, mo- most people don't even think about this stuff because it's, it's denied, they're not like denied yeah. access to them. Yes. And, you know, I want to be able to, we got to, we've got to spread our vision. we got to widen our vision please please we are not just no. m-
2: matter
0: no. uh, there is a wonderful scene in uh, dr strange have you seen that Yes. Now, the scene where she pushes him out of the body and says, what yes. do you think you are, just matter?
2: Yes, yes. And, you exactly.
0: know, and I've, oh, thank you. Thank yes. you for putting this in a superhero movie. <laughs> you okay. know? Yes. And then him traveling everywhere. That's really what it is like, folks.
1: Yes. <laughs> you know, and the, the problem uh, is that one is reticent to even talk about these topics because so many people will label you as, oh, my God, you know. And, you know. Uh, so, not so I don't care. <laughs> I, I, I will I will be very, very careful with who I discuss this with, but yeah. there is a group here called UPARS, which stands for Unidentified uh, Phenomena and Paranormal Research uh, Society of Lost. UPARS LA, it's called. And we meet once a month. And um, it's a wonderful group that investigates all this kind of thing, including, uh, you know, uh, Bigfoot and uh, mm-hmm. haunted houses and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. It's all part of the fabric of this universe, which is a very, very strange and wonderful place.
0: And, and, and we, who thinks that you know, this?
1: We've got to our vision. We yes, more our vision. Yes. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote one of my books, which we'll talk about when, uh, later on in,
0: uh, in the second part.
1: Uh, in the second part, um, <laughs> where I, I investigate all of these because I have found this to be the case. And yet, you know, most people will laugh at you when you and, and people don't want to talk about it, but you've got to break that barrier. Yes. This is what the universe is about. You know, yes. it's not about this. It's it, it all goes beyond the garden gate, for God's sake, you know, so let's go there. Well, I mean, you know, you, you to to arrogantly
0: think that us humans are the supreme race oh. and that we are it. Yeah. When we are so narrow minded,
2: oh, yes, and when
0: we're still so divided, when we still choose to feed hate and yeah. loathing and division, yeah. um, and ego, yes. uh, and narcissism, you know, that it, it's we have one of the greatest gifts given to us mm-hmm. to, uh, to experience the sensation of yeah. the universe within the body, the, the ability to touch, to taste, to hold.
1: Yes, exactly. To move,
0: I mean, it is—it is a gift if you are, it, are aligned with your spirit, because then you truly understand what the human body is here to experience, what you're here yes. to do, mm-hmm. and it is—I uh, don't know why people would deny themselves this, because mm-hmm. it is truly a wonderful place to be. I, I really find it very hard to live as a human being sometimes, yeah, um, because I am more of a spiritual being, yeah, um, but. It is so wonderful when I do get to speak with somebody that is there or is traveling there, is open to being there.
1: Oh, because, totally. you
0: know, now we're, we're going to be dancing on a different frequency altogether, and that's wonderful.
1: Of course. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and unfortunately, it's denied in, in our culture. Yes. It doesn't exist. It, and in our education system, it doesn't exist. And, you know, there's nonsense about parents. A little a little a little, little child may say to the mother, Oh mommy, look, there's a there's somebody standing over there. And the, and the mother looks, and of course there's no one there. Right. And the mother says, Oh no, don't imagine you're, you're imagining it, sweetheart. Don't that's not the thing to say. No. The thing that the parent should say is, Oh, describe her to me. Uh, yeah. and what, what's his or her name? You yeah. Know? Allow that to open up and unfold instead of squashing it and killing it. Right. When 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 we're in our childhood, because we'll grow up with a close
0: to us you know and that was you know my case in many ways you know I was a very sickly child so I spent many many weeks and months on my own at home where you know I'd get breakfast lunch and dinner but then the rest of the time I'm pretty on my own and I play with my dolls and play with other things and my mum would come in and and who are you talking to well you know Jane there don't you see her?
2: Yeah, what do you
0: mean you don't see it? It's clearer daylight, you know, and it's a—it uh, well, must be the fever, <laughs> you know? um, the fever. Yeah. And, but it, it was—it was always a—a a challenge for me because I didn't understand why other people couldn't see it and feel it.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, but you know, that's why I think I'm drawn to movies, definitely, that take us onto mm. a different, uh, different place. You know, may the force be with you. Yes. Of you course. know. You know, yeah. we're, we're asking that, you know, may that higher frequency be with you of clarity, of Absolutely. consciousness. You know, yeah. that's where you open up.
2: Yeah.
0: The um, the scene where these are not the droids you're looking for. Yes. When I lived in Hillbrow in Johannesburg, it was an extremely violent time. Mm-hmm. And I worked in a steakhouse there and I used to come home at four or five in the morning.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: I'd go down a one-way street and these cars were stopped. You know wanting to pick me up and i go i'm not the girl you're looking for okay <laughs> off they would go the only time it didn't work is if somebody was extremely high or extremely drunk <laughs> you know then then that was different because you couldn't get through to them but it worked <laughs> it worked you know and why are we depriving ourselves of this you know these we love these movies that take us to another plane we love these movies that take us into another dimension. We love these movies that show us there's so much more than who we are as human beings. But why are we so afraid to be that person? Yeah.
1: Yes, of course. Uh, I don't know whether you've had it in Canada. I'm sure you have access to it. Stranger Things.
0: Oh, I've watched all of that. Yes, yeah. yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, so you'd probably like those as well.
0: Oh yeah, I like all of that type of thing. I got <laughs> the Umbrella Academy and all of that type of thing. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I do because I, you know, it's uh, yeah, I do believe there is evil in the world, um, but I believe it's an evil energy as mm-hmm. opposed to devil. Yeah, I mean, the devil can be in anyone if you feed that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the evil actions. It's the ev- uh, It's the energy that is corruptive or. You know most certainly um harmful yeah. um i was body snatched when i was young so i i do know what that's like it took four people to hold me down and so you know um these things are real you know the i used to be scared to talk about them wondering if the white coats were coming to take me away <laughs> You know, <laughs> not anymore
1: all the men in black
0: Oh, yes. Oh, I love the men in black. <laughs> I loved, you know, I love the, you know, the way they would show, um, you know, the Star Magazine and you would see, um, what was his name? Rodney, whatever, the football player and go, oh, yeah, he's one of them. <laughs> and it's, I love the, the play on it, but at the same time, yeah, that makes sense. Because <laughs> some of these people just don't seem to be from this planet.
1: There are many who are not from this planet. Yeah. But you know, there is a purpose of evil and, and, and darkness and that yes. is, it, it pushes us towards the light.
0: Yes. That, that's its function And find the light within us.
1: Yeah. That's and it be means.
0: at home within the darkness with us. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm quite happy to be in the darkness on my own because I know I am the light.
1: Yes. But I it mean, took me a while to realize that. The yin and yang symbol it, it embodies that. Yes. You have to have both to have the whole. Yes. Because one makes the other one real and the darkness uh, is the function of that is is to keep pushing us towards the light on our cosmic journey. That's yes.
0: What yeah. And understand that the darkness is the contour of the shapes. Otherwise, yes. we just have bright light and be blinded. You need the darkness as the shading, and and you know uh, that's why in black and white movies when well, you that's see exactly it, right. the, yeah. yeah.
1: That's exactly right. I was going to use that as as the analogy, Mm. and you got there before I did. (laughs) One of of the secrets is, one of the secrets of good lighting, particularly in film noir, black and white, is not about how you light the scene, Mm. but where you don't light it. Yes. Because that's what gives you the contrast. Yes. Good lighting is not the presence of light, it is the absence of it. Yeah. Because then you have that contrast, and you can see you know it it gives you that uh, that comparison so uh yeah i mean the, the 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 negative makes the positive more real right and real yes. and, elev- and elevates it
0: yeah and that's really what we're wanting i mean that's really what movies and books my my brother is a um a writer he's a novelist um he's a, sc- a screenwriter
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and you know like you from a child for him writing was there right from the word go
2: yeah
0: um love of words which is very much on my mother's side and, and looking at the ancestry you know is uh, words were very much part of that um and he's written many different types of books but he went through a phase of of uh, youth genre books yeah. uh, and he is a really good person to taking his quote into the twilight zone Yes. um of you know how the metaphysical can come in and he did one uh, um repercussions of Thomas D of a young boy talking on the phone to his friend and ending up in World war uh, II in oh, England yes. nice. um just having gone through kind of a wormhole and there uh, and right. then spilling his guts to a guy there who actually works for Nazis and changing the course of history.
2: Oh wow! Interesting.
0: And 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 it just shows how you know one person with the right information how it can change everything. Mm. Um, but it, it's a, a, a and a future with no cell phones, you know, no TV, no movies, yeah. no books, you know. So it, he has a wonderful imagination. He's no good at business in in, in marketing himself, but he has a wonderful imagination.
2: Where, where
0: is he? He's in London.
2: Uh-huh. Well,
0: actually, in Lincolnshire. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, when he, uh, when he writes, when I read his writings, he takes me into other worlds
2: mm-hmm. and he
0: has a very, very good way of, of multi-dimensioning it and having you anxious to go and explore the next dimension, yeah. um, which I think, you know, is, is a, is a gift. You were given the gift of movie making. He was given the gift of writing. Mm-hmm. And I think if we embrace what our gifts are mm-hmm. and really nourish them, we will actually really thrive. And what our gift is, and what we bring to people.
1: Yeah, one would like to believe that, of course, and that's 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 uh, that's exactly uh, what one must do. Yeah, don't don't ignore your gifts. You know, if you have that. I mean, I have, I have a couple of. I have. I'm blessed with seven grandchildren. I have two. Got one on the way. (laughs) One on the way. First one on the way. (laughs) No way. Congratulations. Thank you. you. March. Okay. Lovely. And where, 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 where is that? Where will the child be in Canada? Uh,
0: Actually, on the island. I'm on Victoria Island in oh, Canada. Oh, so you
1: will be able to see your grandchildren.
0: An hour and a half away, yes.
1: It's very fortunate because I have two children who live in, in London. And so I have four, three grandchildren in London who I can't see now. Right. And the oldest is, uh, the oldest one is 13 already. I can't believe that. But, you know, I haven't been able to see them for some time because of this. Lockdown nonsense, and um, and then I have two grandchildren in, in Chicago, and I have two in San Francisco, so they're all far away from me. Yeah. I, can't, I can't, I would love to be able to see them, yes. and impart some of this to these kids, yes, you know, but with the stuff that we've been talking about. I, mm-hmm. want, I want them to be aware of all of this. And it's hard when they're not near you you know but anyway i'm not sure they get to how, listen to this <laughs> I'm not sure how we got onto this topic but there we are yeah oh i i do know why um because uh, two of my my grandchildren are, are particularly aware actually three of them um and in fact my daughter sent me a little poem a little song that my grandson wrote yesterday he's nine and he wrote this just listen to this let me think of something harder than life. Death is easy to collide and shaking up your spine. When will, these, when will the eclipse end? Always ask between life is void ethereal and is death eternal? This child is nine. Wow. When I see the darkness, I think of it as a life in a new world. Maybe you see it too. I think I have a line through my heart thinking of you. I can't change the past in our souls, but together we can change the world. Where does this come from? comes from a nine-year-old child yes and it goes on and on and on so you know he's one of them and then my granddaughter in england she also is like that and uh and you know these kids just stun me maybe these are the indigo children i don't know i
0: definitely do believe that they're already the energy already shifted you know for them at birth and they're born into a different energy plane
1: Uh, i think so yes Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah
0: I mean, the youngest I interviewed was 10, had written a book, 365 Days of Gratitude with a Positive Attitude. Yeah. And I was expecting to have to maybe kind of, you know, dumb my show down, talk to her in a different way. And no, I mean, she just made sense. She said, well, I don't understand. If what you're doing is make you unhappy, why don't you simply stop and go and find something that makes you happy? And it's like, duh. <laughs> you know, why do we have to complicate things so much as adults? right? <laughs> you know? But... It's uh, I've interviewed an awful lot of young people in the early 20s and I know their future leaders and the, the beautiful thing they've got is they've got a core common sense,
2: mm. a,
0: a core understanding and passion and conviction for yeah. what they're representing. And it speaks even louder than their voice. And you just know when you're interviewing them, these are the people they're going to lead the next generation. Yeah. that generation and we're in good hands with people like that with people
1: like your grandson. Yeah. And
0: uh, yeah. we need to because look what we've done.
1: Yeah. No, no, I absolutely agree with that and um I I I love being around young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have implicit faith and absolute faith in in, in in young people. I don't waste my time anymore with anybody over the age of 35. Uh, I don't I don't even go into these areas anymore. It's the youth Yes. Those are the people who are going to change things. Anybody at yes. the age of 30, they're set in their ways. They don't want to know any other way. They don't want any difference. And so don't waste my time. Let's just leave it alone.
0: I well, mean, you know, I'm I'm privileged to uh, to interview the people that are beyond uh, 35. Uh-huh. And, you know, like Esther Sheffron, I've had her on three times. And, yes. and uh, the pink lady. Um who's 88, so 83 and 88, and they're such an example of life.
1: There are exceptions, you see. Yes, Most people are not like that.
0: No, the common not, but uh, when older people see other older people, instead Mm. of kind of being complacent, well, this is like the end now, I'm just going to sit there knitting, instead of like, oh, I can now do what I want to do, what I'm passionate about doing, and I don't care what my age is, it becomes that wake-up call to people, what, like life isn't over yet? Absolutely. No, it isn't yeah,
1: no, Absolutely, you've got to celebrate it, of course Absolutely, you know And
0: um... and of course we're seeing that more in the, in TV shows and movies Where we're seeing hmm. older people You know, like Helen Murren
2: mm-hmm. You
0: know, and um, um, da, 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 Not Lionel Richie um, Oh gosh, his name is right there I can see his face But a number of people I mean, right now Christopher Plummer is on a TV show
1: Yes, You're he's right? incredible. He's amazing. He's yes. Extraordinary.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we've just
1: lost Sean Connery. What? He's 90, I think, uh, Plummer. I, he, he? I think he's
0: he? I think he's easily in that. And he's still so eloquent in everything else. And the thing is, in the past, you know, yeah. basically, Greta Garbo at 30, well, my career's finished now. I'm too old. Yeah. You know, now we're embracing that age and understanding the gift that they bring to
2: us. Mm. You know, yes. right?
0: and uh, it's opened up those doors so much more. And I think that... Um, when the youth are ready to listen and to yeah. learn. There's a lot to be learned from people that are over 35.
1: <laughs> well, that's so true. Unfortunately, they are not encouraged to do that. And certainly not in this culture. You, you yeah. don't listen to the elderly people because they don't know what they're talking about is the, yes. is the state of mind with most people.
0: And of course, with COVID, it's like, well, they can die for us. Yeah, right so that. yeah yeah no i ain't dying for you baby <laughs>
1: sorry yeah. Yeah. i've still got too much to do well, when you're talking about the pink lady and you talk about esther you're talking about two extraordinary people yeah uh, and there are others I, I know like that but they really are the exception They aren't most people are not like that there comes a time when you think oh my god i'm 70 years old it's done yeah allotted period I, yes. that's what the bible says i've i've been allotted now it's i'm on borrowed time well, I'm on borrowed time. I'm seven years into borrowed time already, you know. Um, but it's by no means the end of things. And I mean, no. you know, um, I was talking to my doctor the other day and he says, his mother is 104. Right. She, she drives. Yes.
0: She, she does her own shopping. Yes. And it's wonderful. I live with an 87-year-old that would still be working if, if her job was available right now. Ah. She still drives. She's out there every day. She's stronger than I am yeah she's stronger than i am um and just i mean yeah short-term memory is going
2: mm. so i
0: have to step in with that but you know other than that she's all there mm. and it's what is this thing that you have an expiry date no you know no. it's it's until the very end get out and live and if if the movies don't show us that you know i think we we're no longer really titillated by you know the uh, the perfect supposed image of what beauty is
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know we've watched all these reality shows housewives this that etc and go how real is this i mean no if this is real i don't want it
2: yes absolutely. you know
0: and yeah. it's we're hungry for for show me somebody like you know helen murin like uh, sophie loren like um um uh, maggie smith uh, judy dench you know, I, I love them because there's so much who they are.
1: Well, that's but a, there's, all of these women that, well, that you've mentioned, they're all extraordinary. Amazing, yes.
0: yes. Yeah. And a wonderful example. And so it's, uh, you know, it, I know it isn't, um, I keep wanting to come back to that guy's name and I can't come to it. Or oh, come to me. Uh, Friedman. Lionel, not, is it Lionel Friedman? No, 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 it's you. Um, ah, he played he God. He played, God. <laughs> he played God. Black gentleman.
1: Oh, anyway, all right, that guy.
0: Yes, yeah, he has wonderful speaking voice, but, um, and you know, you looked oh, at Morgan uh, Freeman. Thank, thank you, thank you,
1: <laughs> thank you. By the way, Morgan Freeman is, has got one of the most marvelous voices. Ah, as yes. A narrator. Yes. You know, there's an extraordinary film made by a friend of mine in New York. It was an IMAX film uh, called Cosmic Voyage.
2: Mm-hmm. And basically,
1: years and years ago, there was a wonderful documentary made, in, I think it was French, called The Power of Ten, which 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 started with you know a child standing in a playground, and it, you step back ten times, ten times, 10, ten times away from the earth until you see the whole of the cosmos, and then you go back to this child in the in the playground, and now you go into the macro micro world, ten times the power of ten. It was an extraordinary film made yeah. black and white. French and this Bailey Select remade this in IMAX called Cosmic Voyage where you have these children playing in a playing in a playground in I think in Holland and then you step back 10 times and every time you step back it's the power of 10 so it's you know the, to the 10th power yeah. and until eventually you go right back and you see the you know as much of the the known universe the film was made I think in the 80s it was nominated for an academy award it should have won he didn't and I don't know why, but anyway, that's beside the point. Um, and it's an extraordinary film and Morgan uh, narrated that film and he did the most extraordinarily wonderful job. If you ever want to be immersed in the most beautifully told tale of the majesty and the magic and the marvels of the universe in which we live, take a look at Cosmic Voyage narrated by Morgan Freeman. It's wonderful. I've just bought a copy for my daughter In Chicago. I said, you show that to your two boys. Um, I know they'll be amazed by it. It is a little dated because since the film was made, we've discovered more about the universe than was known at the time when it was made. You know, we now know about all these exoplanets, Mm -hmm. which are Earth-like. At that time, they didn't even know that when they made the film, you know. Um, and of course, we've now seen even deeper into the universe through Kepler and uh, and 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 some of these other wonderful um, um, t- t- telescopes in 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 space. Uh, but the film still works because it gives you a sense of scope and size and wonderment, and more than yeah. he nails it. It's bam! It's incredible.
0: Mm, I have to look that up. It also brings to my mind a, a book that had an influence on me, um, which was Celestial Prophecy. Yes. You know, and it really is uh, the energy that you feed something is the way it's going to grow. Yeah. And uh, it uh, I interviewed uh, Yashiuki who was the Imoto uh, assistant to Imoto of the three glasses of water. Yes. Um you know the negative water that turned black the it, yes. water ignored and the water that, of love turned into crystal which is we worth- are
1: his work is amazing
0: absolutely amazing and and Yachayuki is is keeping it on keep going with it and it's uh
1: yeah.
0: and i've had him on with uh, robin williams from the beach boys who's also brought up this one love you know it's to do with water and we are water yeah, this planet is water and yeah. we need you know we need to understand the that yeah. frequency of keeping our water positive and it's you know it's not a la-la type thing and I think this is also why we're kind of hungry for movies and tales and things like this that show us how to feed the possible and not get drawn into the negative.
1: You know when you talk about water and you and you you consider the history of things like baptism Mm -hmm. and the use of water in oriental um, religious paths um, and uh, and so on and, and the role of water Every molecule in the water has its own consciousness. Yes. It does. Yes. And it's it's all about vibration. Yes. Uh, It has. Every molecule has its own consciousness. And it's such an incredible conduit. You can can actually influence that water by imparting, you know, uh, to what this man did. It's it's absolutely extraordinary. And um, uh, you know, I've seen some of it myself done by some uh, Afri- African healers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's extraordinary how they can change things. And I, I believe this. I immerse myself in in a ritual bath once a week um, because I know that water has incredibly cleansing and elevating capabilities. Yes. It does. Yes. It really yes.
0: does. Yes, it, it really does. And, um, you know, um, while I'm in the shower, I like to use tapping. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, tapping on the, the meridian points, you know, you're speaking to something and that water just running down you,
2: you yeah. know, that
0: cleansing, that soothing, that calming. Yeah. But, you know, water is a conduit, you know, and the air is is a, um, a kind of a generator. It constantly has you moving forward. The thing is, we have everything we need is just how do we utilize it yeah. in the right way with the gift that we've been given that yeah. we may be unaware of that we need to get aware of.
1: Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm.
0: So we've uh, talked about your career and everything and gone off into the twilight zone which I love uh, as well <laughs> and our second part is going to be on the books that you have written and one of them um which is is quite fascinating because Netflix uh, has made a a movie on it, but you, you've called it full service, and it was written um, by you on Scotty Bowers. Um, just give people a little snippet of that, so they can come back and listen to the second oh. show on that.
1: Uh, you want to? Just, you, do we start now? Uh,
0: nope. Just I want to just do an exit, so people can come back okay. and listen
1: to the full amount. Okay. Uh, very good. So I, I'll I'll do that. So you want to you want to end this first?
0: No, no. no. I just, uh, just want you to kind of tell me a little something about what we're going to be speaking about in the next show.
1: Okay, so um, if you want to start with the full service with the Scotty Bars story, mm. because that's the first book, and that did become the, the New York Times bestseller, we can start with that. And I'll tell about how I met this guy. I'll introduce the audience to this man, and uh, the fact that he is a legend in Hollywood in so many ways, and, uh, and where that uh, went and then we can go on to the other the other books um, all of which i have copies of here and uh, i'll even show you what scotty looked like have a picture of him.
0: excellent so i want people to come back and listen to the author side of you and all of these books etc but you know for those that are listening just to this show before they come back and listen to the second one um how can they get hold of you and hand, find all these books and and more about you
1: I do have a website and uh, it's very easy to find. Uh, just type in my name, Lionel Friedberg. That's L I O N E L F R I E D, like fried, and then B E R G. So it's lionelfriedberg.com, and that'll take them straight to my website. And there is a box there where they can send a message to me, or there's an email address. Uh, but the website basically tells them all all about what some of the things we've been talking about and a lot more and promotes all of these books. And uh, I'd be happy to hear from anybody who wants to be in touch with me.
0: Excellent, wonderful. And um, please stay tuned for the second one that um, is coming up. And this is where we're going to be talking about the books and you definitely want to hear about them. Uh, The three very different books, uh, one all about the, you know, the sexual exploits in Hollywood from a true story from Scotty. one about the airlines in South Africa, and the other one, is, uh, is to do with the forever in my veins, which is sounding very, very intriguing as well. So please come back and listen to the books and let us learn even more from Lionel about this wonderful, wonderful place of of storytelling, whether it's through books, through movies, through documentaries, storytelling is something that really does guide us through life. And it, it invites us, it excites us, it inspires us. And uh, for somebody who has done as much as you have done, it's definitely an inspiration. So thank you, Lionel. And we'll be back with the second one shortly. Thank you, Sarah. Bye for now, folks. We hope you enjoyed the show. We look forward to bringing you more shows. Please go to selfdiscoverymedia.com slash shows, and you will see the incredible lineup of genres and shows that we have for you. We are here to make a difference in your life. Thank you for listening.